My name is Dean McCubrey and this podcast, Z-Alpha, looks ahead and examines the impact of emerging technology on our children. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Z-Alpha, where we take a look at where we as humans are in relation to the tech around us, especially our young humans, and especially unpacking emerging technologies. So today we are talking to the viral psychologist Naomi Holt, who seems to have struck a national chord with one of her posts last year. And she's pretty much been chased by pod hosts and events ever since. Lucky Naomi. Naomi, hello, and it's so nice to have you on. Oh, Dean, it's so good to be here, so thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. So first, before we talk about your social media fame, which is obviously not the purpose of the talk, Tell us about what you do exactly, and then we'll go from there. So I, yeah, I'm a psychologist by day, (laughs) and I work with a lot of kids, teens, young adults, parents, and older people too in psychotherapy sessions. I am passionate about all things related to parenting, and then also love speaking. So public speaking, inspirational speaking, and then blogging, uh, that is writing is my other passion. So that's in a very big nutshell, who I am and what I do. And then tell us about that post. Like, what happened there? So, <laughs> that post was, um, uh, we were in the middle of renovating our house, which I think everyone knows is an absolute nightmare. You know, they always tell you, don't stay in a house that you're renovating. But we were like, ah, it's not major renovations, minor. Well, no, not even, even if you're just painting a wall, <laughs> there's value in moving out. But uh, so there was dust all around. There was hardly any furniture. There was the dining room table. And it had just been one of those weeks and um, I sat down at this dusty table after dinner and the kids were in bed. I put my feet up and I had so much work to do that night, I remember. But I was like, no, I just actually have to get this off my plate. And if it means anything to anyone, that's great. And I just think it came from the state of having feeling myself and having spoken to so many people who by the end of last year were absolutely exhausted and not understanding why. Um, and it really was just about helping people embrace compassionately the exhausted state that they were in. And by the way, I'm picking up still are. It's not like this exhausted state has moved on as the new year clocked over. But just, you know, if you think about where we started, where we clocked over from 2021 to 2022, we were literally in that survival state. And we have been operating in that we were for so many years. And we rushed through and suddenly there were these expectations of catching everything up. So we went even faster, which, of course, left us all absolutely exhausted. So I wrote this post, put it down, went to bed. And by the next morning, I woke up and things had gone ridiculously berserk on the post. And it was just I could not believe how many people across the world resonated with that state and actually still do. I'm still having people commenting on that post. So for me, it was a big wow. We're all feeling the same way. Yeah, so I think for for the listeners, it would be really worthwhile to go and uh, look up Naomi, either online on Google or to look her up on LinkedIn and take a look at that post. Uh, perhaps, Naomi, if you've got it near at hand, you can always read it towards the end. But at the moment, we'll probably unpack some of the the, the other issues that are going on around us, because that's kind of the, the really chunky stuff uh, that, that Z-Alpha is trying to unpack. But I definitely recommend people to take a look. It is an amazing post. I was struck by it. I called you straight away and I was like, OK, let's let's get this thing together. You mentioned around that exhaustion, and I I really identify with that. So I had a burnout, an adrenal burnout in 2013. It took a long time to kind of get back together. Within within that adrenal burnout, I was running ad agencies at the time, uh, which can be quite burnout material. And it took a lot of time. And, and actually, in that time, what happened was, was I really investigated mental and physical well-being with relation to burnout screens and work. Um, and that's how I find myself here doing this exact thing. What I did do was go, okay, look, there's lots of people doing this, but I'm going to focus on kids. And so I'm more interested in, in the relationship between children and technology and well-being. That's kind of the three-legged stool for me. And you've been talking about you know, this pandemic, this mental health pandemic, and having been in a dark corner myself and really felt it like acute 
anxiety many years, like seven years ago now. Try and explain to me exactly what you deem to be happening with this mental health pandemic. What, what do you, where does it come from? What do you think is the originator? Well, I think that, look, I mean, they've always been, and in my work, I've always seen that I've always worked with a huge amount of anxious kids. But what happened over the pandemic is, and I mean, the, the research that they did, even in that first year of the pandemic, that anxiety and depression across the board, all age groups, increased by about 25%. And subsequent to that, from what I'm seeing in my practice, has actually just gone up even more. So we're really dealing with a world that is in a mental health crisis. And the other thing that I think has happened, which is a part of that, is our mental health professionals are just so inundated that the resources that we have to try and support um, both in individual therapy and in all other manners, the, the world's mental health, are that much less. I mean, I don't know a psychologist who has an opening at the moment. And I've got people who message me from all over the world who say that in the, wherever they are in the world, there isn't the greatest access to uh, mental health professionals because they are just so busy and so full. So we really are dealing with post-pandemic now because of everything that happened during the pandemic. We're dealing with so much anxiety, depression, and a host of other things that have come up too. I mean, we more eating disorders, huge amounts of social anxiety. We're dealing with more substance abuse. And it's all a part of that depression, that anxiety. At the core of that is disempowerment. And that really was at the core, that's at the core of any trauma, which we had with the pandemic as a global collective trauma. And then in South Africa, of course, we had our own unique national traumas too during that time. So it's really left a world, especially if we're looking at the youth of hugely disempowered and traumatized youth. And I think what we're seeing and what I'm picking up in so many of the schools, and I have so many schools come to me and ask me for help in bullying. Now, bullying and what I say to them is, well, that's great, but I can't go in there. We can't go into schools and work with what do we do with bullying? Let's implement an anti-bullying policy because bullying is not something that you address top down. If you do that, it's like trying to drip drops of water on a raging fire. You have to look at what's fueling the fire. And I really believe that what is fueling this fire of this bullying epidemic that we're seeing is disempowerment felt by kids, felt by teens as a result of the last few years of trauma. And then, of course, we've got parents who are battling to process their own trauma who haven't and a world that has rushed on even faster because they're trying to catch up now. And we can't do that because the normal that we knew, we'll never have that again. And, you know, research has shown that over any huge global events that we will never, things will, will never be the same again. So we've really got to look at where are we going? And so many people that I've spoken to have kind of said, you know, during the pandemic, and I think most of us did, we were like, oh, this is so good to be slowing down, to be connecting with our families, to just, we need to like, remember this. We need to not speed up as much as we did not get back on that hamster wheel. Well, we've got onto the hamster wheel on steroids. It's like we have forgotten those critically important lessons that we learned and promised ourselves we would not forget. We've forgotten them already. And things are even more detrimental, I really believe, because no one is pausing to process the reality of what we have been through for the last three years. Everyone's just speeding ahead. And you know what happens with trauma or anything big, really emotionally that we don't process. It's like the, I'm a very visual thinker. It's like having a visual of a big mat and you're just sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. Well, eventually everything you are sweeping under that mat becomes a mountain and you trip over it. And that's what I fear is happening and is gonna happen more and more over the next decade. So I think we're going to come to both the trauma and a sense, the presence or mindfulness aspect in a bit. For me, with the work that we do, there is uh, uh, something that I think people miss, certainly around kids. A lot of people think that the dopamine loop is what has kids trapped. Okay. So in other words, they're on screens, they're getting a lot of rewards in their brain from things like likes or gaming missions or whatever it may be. 
But there is something else in the room. It's not purely that because not everybody is using social media or gaming, but there is this mentality that we've picked up because we've got a supercomputer in our pocket or in our bag or in the palm of our hands, which means that we've also got productivity. Look at chat GPT right now. A, a child can pick up a, a device and actually have an essay written through this device that was in the palm of their hand. It means that there's, you can take these shortcuts. It's not just that you've got entertainment. Even in e-learning, we're picking up that device and we're getting rewards. And so what's happening is we're spending an increasing time on screen, but we're getting a lot of rewards from that. But what that's taking away is from the mindfulness and the pause, which is creativity and nature and connection and, and, and. The thing that I want to go back to so that I don't miss it, I get this a lot, right? You talk about COVID and you talk about trauma. I think the word trauma freaks people out because they're like, no, trauma should be reserved for X, Y, and Z. And I don't deem it to be like that. And also a lot of people go, well, I had a really good time in COVID, <laughs> you know, and I get that, that they did. So there's a, the connection I think we need to make, if, if it's possible for you to unpack for me, is what exactly are you talking about? Let's nuance trauma. And what happened in COVID that we can try and explain that was invisible? So I think we need to understand first absolutely what you said is what is trauma? Trauma is not an event. It is a subjective experience. And we experience it at any time that we feel that either our lives or a loved one's life is in danger. The other thing that we need to remember is that we don't have to directly have experienced an event to be traumatized by it. So we can be traumatized through visuals, through what we hear, through what we see, even through sounds. So we can re-experience or experience events through that. I know that we, we felt that in so many, for example, I'm, I'm going to use the South African unrest as an example of that. Just hearing those viral WhatsApps that were circulating before that happened that put many people into that panic, fight, flight, freeze, traumatic state, that disempowerment. That's again going back to the hub. The core is that disempowerment where my life or the life of someone I love is under threat. And because COVID was a lot of people, you know, we talked about it as the world against a war with an invisible enemy, except it was that much worse for so many reasons. Now, one of the explanations that I really, I think is so valuable for us to understand is that researchers even said that the pandemic had a worse psychological effect than something like World War II, because as human beings, we are wired from our earliest days for attachment. And as, as mammals, we are. And what the mammal brain, and you can see this with, with animals as well, anytime animals, a flock, flock of sheep, for example, is under threat, feels danger, what do they do? They group together. When we as human beings feel danger, feel threat, we are wired that safety is in togetherness. Now, what the pandemic did is it said to us, you get together, you risk dying. So we had to go against our natural wiring to keep ourselves safe and keep, to, and keep separate from one another. So, I mean, that created an absolute mental mind mess. Gordon Newfield calls it the perfect emotional storm which is also explains why, again, that social separation was so hard and why so many people felt so depressed and got so depressed during that time. You know, you used a word that I really want to go back to when you were talking just now, and it was the word connection. And that is critically important because obviously, for various reasons, over the pandemic, there was so much more connection through online, it was necessary for schools, it was necessary for so many reasons, that, which was fantastic to be able to connect. But the problem is now going back to a world where we can connect face to face with one another. We know from a neurological perspective, there's nothing like the face to face attachment and connection in terms of bringing our stress levels down, bringing our bodies back into homeostasis and just that deep connection and that safety that we feel in relationships. Sure. It, I mean, that is really important, right? Because to some degree, during the pandemic, I also was like one of those people go, wow, this has been really good on many levels. But it also wasn't good on many levels for that. And we forget that it's not even just about us. 
So we get affected by what's happening in the environment. And I'm not actually just talking about you're seeing the roads empty or so on, but somebody else might have been suffering in our family. And that leaves a bit of a, a tattoo uh, inside us that, as you said, that uh, this happened or at that time was is happening. And it's just something where we forget also that we can push things down. Like this thing was quite good for me. I really enjoyed it. But I just think that there are things that are deeper down inside us that we can even push down. I'm very good at that myself. Push down and hide away for a while. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And that's why what you're saying is so important is the basic facts of, I don't know whether you're calling it neurobiology or, you know, essentially just being human is that we were isolated. We're meant to be together, uh, physically hugging and so on and connected. And we were isolated. If it didn't really affect you because you worked really well online, then there were things that happened. And the reason why I'm saying that so much is because kids look so adept online. This is central to my work. Because they look so competent online, you can pick up a phone and they can navigate it better than you or equal to you. Parents can miss the cues that they also can be incredibly disconnected. And I think that's a really important starting point. Like, how would we know whether somebody was feeling socially isolated or depressed or low and so on? So I take a lot of stock from what you're saying. It kind of really reminds me that so many of us can deny it, like what we felt about COVID or whether it's a trauma or not. You know, trauma is very hard. I, a lot of people say, why are you saying trauma? What do you know? And I'm like, well, I don't. Naomi does. And, and this, this thing of disempowerment is really important. And it, and it's certainly something that I'm going to think about a lot more. So for you, you, you're a parent. How do you think that this pandemic is specifically affecting Gen Z? And do you feel parents are equipped properly to deal with it? I think that the, one of the big issues has been that we've seen actually just across the board has been those social and those peer interactions. And what we need to remember about kids, and we forget this, A, the most important learning comes from what we as parents role model. And of course, we've been absolutely 100% disengaged from them because we've been on our own screens so much, which means we haven't had the connection with our kids that we should. But um, the other thing, so they are not, because they haven't had the opportunity for the social interactions that they would have and all the learning, the critically important learning that happens within that, they now flung together and we're seeing that more bullying, that more struggling with conflict resolution, um, struggling with social skills, that's having a knock-on impact on their self-esteem. So there's kind of all these, and academically, what we're also seeing is that there's, for so many children, there's big gaps now. And that also impacts on all the other social emotional aspects um, of their functioning. And the other thing, going back to what you're saying is, yes, okay, so so everyone has had more screen time. And we forget, and I've definitely seen younger and younger children almost with a screen addiction. And um, But we know that with any addiction, the root of any addiction is pain. And for so many, that's, the screens are escapism. It means I don't have to deal with the pain that I'm feeling, the voids that I'm feeling. And I think it is so important. You know, you mentioned how do we kind of know, how do we become more aware of if our child is depressed, if our teen is suffering with anxiety, being bullied, et cetera. And this is where, you know, again, the part where you said, are we equipped to deal with it as parents? I think as parents, we need to make a concerted effort to create times of family connection. So at least one meal a day where everyone is sitting down together without screens. You know, so often the reality is that life is so busy on the hamster wheel that sometimes the first time we make eye contact with members of our family is over a meal. Now, if we are not doing that, because the temptation is, of course, as our kids get older and older, we're busy doing something or they eat, then we eat, whatever it might be. We actually not connecting at any time during the day. So we're not going to pick up when there's something wrong. And you don't only want to pick up when there's something wrong, when it's actually too late, when all the wheels have fallen off. We need to be on top of it. And I think so. I think things like family connections, um, keeping the, the, the roots, you know, our kids need roots. They need strong roots, our teens. Um, roots are things, there's, there's a beautiful Malay proverb. It says, um, 
you know, the tree that stands or, or is in storms is where the roots are strong. It's, it's not exactly that, but it's along those, those lines. So how do we build our children's roots, their sense of family? And I think too many of us as well, it's kind of a, our aim in life. What is it? Get up six o'clock, get the kids to school, get to work, get home, eat dinner, get the kids in bed, wake up. And so we see like the cycle just going round and round and it's a hamster wheel. Where are the human relationships in there? Now, relationship, we get this all wrong. And I often also put it in this kind of, um, I, I turn it around. I say to parents, you know, when you got married, did you like just in the dating process, did you just meet one another, say, hi, okay, yes, that's great. Where are you from? Did I, should we get married? Super. No, you had fun. You connected. You laughed. That's how relationships are built. That's how strength is built. That's how roots are built. Yet we don't see raising kids, the importance in that as having fun, laughing, connecting, doing life together. Life is meant to be this messy, beautiful journey of fun, connection, laughter, tears, all mixed into one. I like to think about life with our kids as a dance, but we're not doing that. So as parents, I think something that's so important is that we actually acknowledge our own trauma. It always starts with us. Always, always, always. We're usually like, oh, my child, my child. And it, we have to stop that. It starts with us because our kids are taking every leaf out of every page in their book from us and how we're coping. So how are we managing stress? How are we implementing self-care? What are we doing to process our big emotions? Um, it makes such a difference because if we don't and we're stressed, what happens is also who do we take that stress out on? Our kids. That causes disconnection. And if we're looking at trauma, the most important healing from trauma is connection. Like that's the one word. You want to heal? We need connection. We've had so much disconnection over the last few years. So our focus in families should be how do I keep connection? If I'm stressed as a parent, it's impossible to be connecting with my child, which is why it starts with me. And then to be able to be there for our kids. Like I use the term, hold the space. And everyone says to me, what do you mean hold the space? I mean, because of everything they've been through, I've seen it in my own home. I've seen it with the kids and the teens I work with. Remember that kids' behavior is never their behavior. It is a message. They, they don't, they're not gonna sit down and talk necessarily and have these heart-to-heart one-to-ones. They're gonna show us what they're going through, through their behavior. Our responsibility as parents is not to react to that behavior, discipline that behavior. It's to interpret what is the message behind it? What is the need in the message? And to meet that. When we meet that, we connect. And when we connect, we heal. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) Naomi, that's too much for me all at once. But that is so important. Like, I, you know, I'm always trying to explain to parents. So, you know, we teach students. So we teach teens and preteens, but we also teach the parents and we also teach the teachers and we also teach school counselors, GPs, psychologists, right? But in the parenting group, they sometimes come to our presentations and they want a little bit more drama about the digital side. Like, tell me more stuff about, you know, this predator issue or when somebody got hacked. I was like, look, I can tell you that. But there's lots of the people that work in, in my industry already that can tell you a lot of that stuff. But I always say that at the root of it, one of the things we've got to understand around screen time is, yes, of course, there's increased risk. But the problem is, is there's decreased connection. And inside that increased risk, there's also increased influence of what's coming down the pipe, let's say what we see on TikTok, towards our children while you're trying to establish digital values. But if you don't have those digital values or, or the roots that you're talking about because you're not having dinner together, then how, when are you communicating that message? And Adam Alter, um, actually a guy that I've spoken to uh, at NYU University uh, uh, in the United States. I contacted him because I've read his book three times. It's called Irresistible. He has a very famous uh, TED talk. Um, and it's all about um, like really how we haven't seen the way in which screens have crept up on us. And he was talking about if you sleep for eight hours and you go to school for eight hours, that should leave you with approximately eight hours. But what's happening is, is you know, you should have some time for, say, a bath and here and this and that. And then you should have some time for some connection and so on. But he was saying that 
most of the time people are spending that connection time online and they're leaving about 30 minutes to 60 minutes or whatever he said for actual other connection time. They're not actually talking to anybody. They're looking at somebody or they're taking a snap of themselves or they're watching reels and so on. And it looks so good. My entire world that I'm trying to explain is relatively invisible. We can't see it because we love it. And we can't see it because we're auto automated while we're loving it. So we love the reels. They're funny, cat videos, um, cute things which make us feel good. It's not all horrific. But at the time that we spend more time online, we become a bit disconnected, but we also become automated. So we just keep picking up the phone. And in that, the time narrows for that connection. And what you're saying is the time narrows for the healing. That extra thing is just so important. And you've helped add the extra explainer that I've been looking for, because I try and explain to them, no, it's about more time because it's more connection and it's more values and all those types of things. But I'd never really thought about connection as healing. So that is, so very grateful for that. What I wanted to ask was, so it's really difficult. I think a lot of people are, are confused about what to do. Like, so you're telling me that I must put my phone down now, are you, for example? That's what they say to me. And they, and I'm about to ask you that question. But what are the three key things that you think are the most important for us to pay attention, as you said, first of all, to ourselves so that we can then parent correctly and respond correctly. But then, of course, to our kids in terms of some of the things that they're going to need from us. Only three. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll give you five. No, I'm just gonna no, no I'm just gonna like, you know, maybe maybe there's an overlap or maybe you want some some more specifics here, but let's just shoot and go. I think that you know what you said, I think going back to yes, we start with ourselves. How am I within our, in myself? Um, because my kids are learning from me all the time. They're learning how to deal with big emotions. They're learning how to deal with stress and trauma. And the thing is that because as adults, as parents, so many of us haven't dealt with things and dealt with trauma, we're also going more and more to our phones because it's also an escapism for us. You know, as you kind of, what we, what we put online and that's my whole thing with social media and on my posts and on my blogs, I try to be, and I put it out there, I try to be as authentic as possible. Um, because I think that that online world, which is a danger for both us, and we see especially in teens and especially in women, this, um, the, 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 this visual of perfection that is created and put out there as what it seems like other people have these perfect lives. And so we keep scrolling. But what happens is you put that phone down and most often we're left feeling not good enough and not content with our lives. So that is a breeding ground for depression and anxiety. So as parents, we need to be so aware of that. If we are battling, if we are depressed, if we are struggling, we need to get the help we need because we cannot show up and be there emotionally for our kids until we've first been able to do that for ourselves. So whatever that means, if it means more self-care, more exercise, more coffee with a friend, seeing a therapist, whatever it means, you cannot parent properly until you are looking after yourself. And I think you mentioned something else which is so important and it is completely underrated. And that's why it might seem like a trivial thing, but I'm going to bring it up here. And that is sleep. Because of course, the more, and I see this with the teens I work with in particular, of course, the more we're all online, parents as well, the less sleep we're getting and the less quality sleep we're getting. But we all know that how difficult it is to be your perky self and to actually be in the moment, to be connected, to not be irritable when you haven't had enough sleep. So if we are getting less sleep because we're more online or just because we've kicked sleep is always the last thing on the to-do list because our to-do lists are full of everything else. Well, we're not going to be able to be the parents that our kids and teens need us to be because we are going to just act. I mean, if you even look at in terms of what's happening in the brain, our limbic system is more easily activated when, for a couple of reasons, and one is when we haven't had adequate sleep. So it's essential. In terms of us as parents, the other thing, and I'm just going to own it right here, I have the problem, I believe, with, with social media and these phones, as great as they are, and we know all the perks and, and benefits, they have made us accessible 24 hours a day. 
So, but connection with our families happens in inaccessibility, which is why people often say to me, oh, you're always going away. I'm like, yes, because those are the times when I'm inaccessible and can really focus on reconnecting with my kids, even though I try to find pockets of that time every single day. So we need to work on being more inaccessible so that we can be more connected and accessible to those within our homes. I mean, I have in the past here, owning it, come home from work and locked my phone in my office from myself. Because when our phones are there and you might be spending time with your kids and they go, bing, where does our mind go? Who could that be on the phone? What could that be? Where does our child's mind go? Who could that be on mom's phone? What could she be thinking now? She's no longer with me in the moment. So we need to be so aware of, yes, these wonderful technological devices that connect us to everyone else in the world, they so often can disconnect us from our kids. And it's not just, and you know, in that, where's our kid, where are our kids getting their sense of value in the world, their sense of worth, how important they are from the amount of attention we're paying them? Are we really interested in them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is like so, so important that, that, around just the phone being on or off there was a study done in which what they did is they 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 did a, a research study where they put two people in a room sitting opposite each other um with uh, a phone on face down on the on the table and they somebody told the person a story and then they asked them questions uh and then what they did is they then did it again and what happened was was that the they took the phone out of the room altogether. And I can't remember the exact numbers, so I don't want to be quoted on it, but it was something like the retention was something like 30% more when there was no phone in the room, even though the previous phone was face down. So even when it's not on, if it's close, our subconscious or some other aspect of who we are as humans knows that there's this wonderful sticky thing that could be contacting us or could have something that is, um, you know, funny and escapable and that we can hop onto that hyperloop train and get the hell out of here. Um, and I think that that's really important. And, and this is what we teach in our program to students. We say, look, if you're feeling distracted, around uh you know attention and focus so so actually really you'll love this we we do anonymous uh feedback via surveys through the schools so that we obviously don't you know we don't hold the data or anything and in that anonymous feedback we ask them of our eight lessons and our eight lessons are critical thinking online uh, privacy and settings, cybersecurity and external risks, mental health, uh, reputation management, exploration and excellence. It's kind of like this octagonal prism of, of the way in which we live our life online. He said, and which of these eight lessons would you like? And consistently, we've never, okay, we've never not had mental health as the number one choice. And what is number two? Attention and focus. So I'm not saying it's all because of everything online, because that drives people mad going, oh, you think you're just looking at it through your own lens and you're making it all about phones. Of course, it might not. It might be about COVID. It might be about our grandmother. It could be about what's happening in our homes, divorce or whatever. But ultimately, it is fascinating that man mental health is chosen as one and that attention and focus is two. And that's why we try and explain to them some of these great tricks and tools. And we talk to them about the research. We show them cool videos where they're like, no way. That makes sense. I do do that. Even if it's often in front of me, I'm still looking at it. In the US, kids are online uh, via, via studies at 11 to 12 hours a day and using three devices. So they'll have a computer on a phone on and a tablet on, on their desk. This is for teens. Um, and so, and we wonder why we're struggling with attention. To talk about, um, like one of the solutions around that, and, and you mention it, m my brother Bruce is a, is a specialist in, in mindfulness. He's based in Vancouver. And I've been into yoga and mindfulness for the last decade. Um, you know, let's talk about that. You know, the antithesis of being so busy is for us to go and connect. And we often talk about connection. So go, you know, 
uh, us with somebody else, have a cup of tea or, you know, have a coffee with a friend or, or whatever. You know, with the kids, it's like take them surfing, take them for a walk, um, you know, whatever it may be. But there's also a relationship that we need to have to ourselves just in peace. Can you be on your own with yourself? You know, how does that feel? Like what happens with boredom? Can you be bored? Boredom is incredible. Um, and, you know, and what does that give birth to? So if you could touch a uh, uh, not just on the importance of of human connection, but I don't know what you would call this connection with yourself. Tell us about that a little bit more, and why is it so important? And what does it do? So I think I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna start. I mean, there's a couple of aspects to that, but I mean, I also do yoga, and um, it's been it's been a part of my journey. I also rebound, but yoga is the other thing that I like doing, and and I, I see it in the therapy with my patients as well. If we just look at a trauma, at the essence, trauma disconnects us from others and from ourselves. Now, yoga is one of the practices. The aim is reconnection of mind and body, which is kind of directly healing. To what trauma has done, which I th- why I think it's so powerful. So that's just on the on the side, like punting a little bit of, of of yoga there. But in terms of mindfulness, I think mindfulness is also a word that just gets splashed about and used way too much, so that people actually nowadays they're like, oh, mindfulness, turn off. But that kind of getting back in tune with ourselves. Yes, as I said, because of the trauma we've experienced, we're disconnected from ourselves. We've been in survival mode survival state from a neurochemical level, a biological level. And we need to get back almost in control and um, being more empowered with our own bodies. So, and I think that one of the simplest ways to do that is just get into nature. I mean, there's so much about, um, you know, so much research about just the power of nature and grounding. And I mean, I find just taking myself sitting under a tree, that's where it all kind of just that so much healing happens. Um, there's that other beautiful quote. I'll also get it wrong now, but but something like head into nature. Um, you won't find Wi-Fi there, but you won't find a better connection. Something along those lines. Um, so and and yes, I agree with you in terms of boredom. Our kids, because of all these devices and go, go, go and busyness. And by the way, busyness and excessive busyness is just a way to run away from anxiety um, so often. But when we encourage them just to be bored, which is something our kids today are not enough of. As soon as a child says, I'm bored, parents are like, wow, what do we give them to do? Let's give them this. Let's download this. Let's buy this toy. Let's... And boredom is the root of creativity. And I think it's such a sign of psychological health when a child can take themselves off and just be by themselves, because that for me is fully embracing who I am. I don't need something else or someone else to be happy and content with who I am. So for me, that's quite a factor of resilience to the child that is okay to be in their own space um, by themselves. And and can you explain a little bit more? So parents come to me and go, yeah, Dean <laughs> or Naomi, easier said than done. Try it as a parent. I'm like, I, I do. Um, and, and I never claim to be a perfect parent because I don't have perfect children. They're just children. Um, they are also exposed to the environment and I'm also, exp- I'm also working and all of those types of things. But what I do know is a lot of the things that I teach and I try and exercise and I try and catch my own, uh, you know, behavior where I can be distracted or pick up my phone and I know to turn it off and those, those types of things. I mean, I, w- what would we say to parents around, say, for example, frustration tolerance? Because, uh, I think we don't know, you know, you talking a lot and I'm, and I'm loving it. We try and explain if you understand that we are so much more than just this thinking brain. Um, we are this chemistry set. That's how we, we literally teach one of our segments, our video segments. We've gone into a chemistry lab and explained to kids about all the different chemicals that make them work, you know, um, so dopamine and oxytocin and so on. So that they understand why, why when they're in a gaming community that, that they could be getting oxytocin because they're feeling like they belong as an example. It's, I mean, it's so cool and they love it and they go like, wow, and we literally get like colored test tubes with and say, well, it's a bit of to- oxytocin. And then you add a bit of dopamine and they're like, and this is when you're on Fortnite and this is when you're on TikTok. And they're like, ooh, I get it. So 
what we want to try and say to parents is, is, is something like, it's okay to say no so that they then go outside. And we have to go past a point of resistance with our kids. That's the problem. So you'll often find that if you take kids away for the weekend and you say this is a cell phone free weekend, you can have them go, oh, I hate it. I don't want it. This is the worst weekend ever. And when they get in the car on the way home, they actually say it's amazing because essentially you filled them up in another way, but you have to get over that hump first. So talk to me about getting over that hump, but also what advice could you give to parents about frustration and, and why that's important? Like, you know, I, I don't know whether frustration is the right word, but saying no in order to get an even better yes. There's so much to what you've just said. Absolutely. I mean, I've had teens before they've come and they're like, ah, oh, my parents taking my phone away. And then two weeks later, I'll like see them and they're like, I have never gone on so well with my parent as I have in the last few weeks. Why? Because that's exactly what we were speaking about earlier. Just that, um, that connection. I think in terms of we are parents. We have got to say no. We've got to remember our children's brains are developing until they're mid 20s. That means their prefrontal cortex, their thinking part of their brain, their executive functioning that gets to make rational, healthy decisions is still developing until the mid 20s. So as parents, our role is sometimes to be the break. But we're so scared of that. We're so scared of losing favor with our kids. Um, and we're scared of that rejection that we might have to feel when we say no. But saying, I mean, I'll give you an example. I remember um, I was counseling a young man who'd just come out of a, a drug rehab a couple of years ago. And I said to him, you know what, if your parents could have done anything differently, what, what, what do you think they could have done? Do you know what he said to me? He said, I wish they had said no more often. Like our kids, our teens need us to be the break and to say no when it's not in their best interests. And in terms of getting over that hump, that is, I think, a personal thing. Uh, no, our kids and our teens, whatever they say to us, whatever they do to us, it's not personal. No one's going to like being told what to do, and we, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So we might get rejected and pushed away. If we're taking that personally, that's our stuff that we've got to go deal with. Remember, behavior is not personal. It's just a message. They're allowed to not like everything we put into place. And when they are melting down, whether it's because we've said no or for any other reason, our role is going back to hold the space. So that means just be there. Be there in the space or nearby in the space. Don't punish them. Don't send them away. Don't tell them to get a grip and get over themselves. They need, we know that for the brain to, I mean, we all know adults who can't regulate and it's not a pretty sight. One of the functions of the prefrontal cortex is regulation. Now, we also know from kind of the neuroscience research that has all this wonderful um, stuff that's been happening over the last few decades, that regulation doesn't develop in isolation. It can only, the skill of regulation can only develop through co-regulation and that means when there is a dysregulated child or teen and an adult who can stay regulated in their presence then co-regulation happens and that is what grows the brain so we need to rethink our role as parents is to grow a brain that's what it is quite simply and when you can keep having that flashing mantra that says this is not personal like hold the, hold the fort it becomes that much easier yeah. And I mean, this thing of co-regulation, you know, you were talking about our kids watching us is if we can do or deeply understand that what our kids are seeing, like mirroring and modeling, they're, they're absorbing. Like, again, I just can't say it enough. Everything is so invisible. Um, it's all happening around us. It's happening in our environment. They're watching us. They're picking up things. They're, they, you know, that's why it's so often, you know, we behave the way our parents do. And it's so important that if we can understand that, then what does it look like if our heads are down? Why are we looking at our kids going, well, their heads are down all the time? Point one. But two, if we're freaking out, particularly when you talk about bullying, one of the worst things with bullying that we say to parents, they say, what's the first thing I should do? Now, most online safety people would say to you, okay, you need to record so that you've got evidence so you can then take it to the school or you can... The first thing you need to do as a parent is to stop and go, wow, 
I'm either sad or I'm going to blow or I want to fight these people or I'm in panic. Like all of those would be completely natural if your child was bullied. And I understand that. You know, I've, I've seen that myself, even in my own family. You've got to catch yourself. It's funny. We, one of our episodes is going to be with Mariska, who is a lady that works for us and writes um, our conscious parenting uh, tools. We're actually going to be doing a conscious parenting program. And her first page of the script is check yourself first. And, and and this is why it's so important is a lot of people, when they go to our parenting programs, to our parenting seminars, they say, sure, I thought you were going to be doing more app settings, you know, TikTok safety settings. We do do that, but we often talk about it. so many things are going to stem from time. Because when you get time, you're able to stop long enough to make yourself hopefully feel better, take a walk, whatever you want to do. And in that time, you can also reflect about how you're doing or think about your children, and then you can approach it. Without time, it's difficult to be able to regulate or even to understand that you need to understand regulation, <laughs> to understand, to understand, or, or to look it up. Like, it is so important. Like, what is regulation? Uh, how do you achieve it? You know, how can you be mindful enough to know or have enough EQ to be able to feel what's going on physically, coming to the yoga, what's happening in your body, so that our kids can look and go, you've got this, mum, you've got this, dad. And that's what's so important is they need to see that you've got it, even in those times of frustration, that you're quite constant. And that is such an important thing. And that's what's so funny is that's going to be, in my opinion, just as important as me teaching you about the app settings in YouTube. Yes, we're worried about external threats, but actually we need to work out what's happening even in our own dynamic personally and in our dynamic with our child. And and time and mindfulness or whatever you want to call it, a bit of presence in yourself does that so much. And and so, you know, once again, it, it is so nice to hear the things that you're saying and the way that you enunciate a lot better than I do, because I think that it is, it is just so important. Like we want that to happen. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you another question around that, which is what do you feel then might be missing in schools? Now we've just talked about mirroring and modeling and frustration tolerance, but now inside schools, we've got all sorts of problems. Let me give you another piece of data from our survey. In that same survey and every other survey, so you can see the consistency here, who would you talk to about an online issue? And they can choose more than one. Parent, sibling, friend, uh, therapist, school counselor, teacher. School counselor comes up, has never, ever scored more than 5%. And let me say this here and now to all school counselors listening. This has got nothing to do with you. You're probably an amazing school counselor. It's actually got to do with a lot of the secrecy that happens around online and also the disconnect of the generational divide, like look and go saying, they don't get it. I can't go to them with it. Or, and also the way in which sometimes we behave in schools. We haul, we haul the bullies up together and deal with them. Meanwhile, this person's going to come back and get you tonight and start like getting you after hours when nobody else knows. Like that's the sad thing. So what would you say to teachers in the same way we've just discussed it around parents? What is the gold that they might not be seeing uh, with regard to post-COVID screen time increased teens and preteens? Okay, the gold is what, and I preach this to schools and to heads, and not everyone wants to hear it, but there is no way around it, is that given that, like it or not, we're sitting with a generation of traumatized kids and teens, the first priority should not be academic catch-up and trying to get 7A matriculants in your class. It should not be the first team school doing the best in the province. It should be relationship. Because even if you look at, again, going back to neurologically, when we're traumatized, we're literally not able to fully utilize our prefrontal cortex, our executive, executive functioning skills. And to get those jolly seven A's and whatever else you want to achieve, you need your child to be able to access their upper brains. But they cannot do that if they don't feel safe. Now, what we forget is, and I love this very easy to remember kind of model of the brain, if you just divide it quickly, the bottom, the primitive, most primitive, we need to feel safe. Only when we feel safe can we feel loved. And only when we feel safe and loved 
Can we learn and are we open to learning? And that's really the basis of what every single educator and head should be remembering. Are they creating a classroom where their kids feel safe and where they have a relationship? Because if they're not, there is no ways they are going to get out of those kids what they want to, what they need to. If teachers take the first few weeks or take some time every day to spend on relationship, they will actually get to that curriculum far quicker. So there's no way to get around this. Like that is it. Again, going back to relationship and connection. That's what every single person in this world needs. And that is, I mean, I'm almost shedding a small tear here with joy from what you're saying, because because I think that's one of the great bridges that we are trying to get over is, is that there's also something else on campus or in the classroom that schools can't understand. Like exactly what you just said. Now add what happens if there's this digital planet that's hovering around the school campus or like an orb in the classroom because there are issues on, well, either there's phones where kids are watching super sport and watching Netflix. I mean, the stories that I hear of devices in the classroom, I'm not going to comment whether I think that's a good or a bad idea because that's a whole extra pod episode, but there are so many aspects just by having a screen in the classroom that we need to understand. And that anchor, that root of what you're talking about is so important. Now you can try and attend to it through the love, as you said, and, and, and the relationships and making f- people feel safe and feel like they belong. But one of my great pleas to schools anywhere in the world is to understand that there's this orb, this planet that's hovering in classrooms and above campus that they need to understand more of. They, it doesn't matter if you're a technology teacher or a really clued up, cool. I see a lot of clued up, cool LO teachers who feel like they've got it and they're really amazing. You've got to live in that environment. You've got to understand what's happening in TikTok that week. You've got to understand that as an example, when those four students were killed in the US around the Idaho murders, on TikTok, students were trying to solve that murder via sleuthing on TikTok. Let's just think about that. Like, that was, like, a horrendous. I mean, as an adult, I just couldn't get over it as, uh, not not the TikTok bit, just what had happened. And then I heard about these trends, and I was like, there's something really weird and wrong here. Like, what's happened here? But either way, what we've got is we've got this exposure. And imagine if schools understood the depth of whatever's happening around us. I think that's what we need to understand is you you have to really start to connect to all sorts of manner of things. You know, they don't want to speak to the school counselor. Mental health is number one. Uh, attention and focus is sitting in the room. Kids are looking at all sorts of stuff from the Ukraine war to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard to the Idaho murders online. It, people go, come on, come on, come on. All I hear is, it's not my responsibility. This is a parent's responsibility. Unfortunately, it's a shared responsibility. It's going to be partially shared by the teen and preteen being supported by people like us. And then we're going to try and help the parents and say, do you really understand? And by the way, you know about like frustration tolerance, right? And with teachers, like, What's happening with regard to your policy? How much exposure is there, uh, you know, inside your classrooms to screens and how connected are you just to what's happening in the social space right now? You know, you can only attend to that when you, when you elevate your awareness via access to information. And I'm trying to kick those doors down to say, we're here to show you and we're here to help you understand just how much is going on in this world for these kids because I'm staggered and I teach it. It is breathtaking what we see and what we are told. And so I think what you're saying is so important. Imagine pairing, you know, that safety with some knowledge of what might threaten that safety, you know, which is what they're seeing online. And um, th- th- there's a very important two authors in the US, Gene Twenger and another one, uh, Professor Jonathan Haidt. Also, I, I just like hit these people up and talk to them. It's so funny. But... Um, that that they uh, have a, a couple of books, uh, but they've both been very vocal around the fact that 
mental health fell off a cliff around about, I think it was 12 years ago, which pretty much coincides with the explosion of social due to the Facebook like. Now, I'm, I could be a couple of years out here, so please, people don't start trolling me here. But ultimately, the, 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 the what they're saying is so important is exposure can be incredible and change our life. And it can also make us feel incredibly unsafe. So on as a parting shot, what for you would you love to see over time, right? So now we know this situation. We're looking at where we are with screens. We're looking at what we've discussed around parents. We've looked at what we discussed around teachers. Let's say you were the president, Naomi. President. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> And you can mandate some things. I love doing this. You know that I do this with kids. You are you are given President Ramaphosa's role. What advice would you give? And it's about anything, and it's beautiful what they say. Um, but what what things would you love to see to see a cultural shift? You can. It doesn't have to be an overall South African cultural shift because then we're going to get into a whole lot of other things. I'm talking around the protection of children in relation to their screen time. Is there things that you want that you you really would love to see happen? I mean, I've got a lot of ethical questions about, around things like ChatGPT and the way we automatically consume things, and we're just the guinea pigs. Like, let's not go there. Another pod, but ultimately, what you, you, President Holt? What would you put in place to see a change between now and 2025, 2026? Absolutely. And I think it would be um, a program with um, mothers or caregivers, pregnant mothers and caregivers, because I think that, you know, we get we have to have licenses for everything to get a pet to get a firearm, we have to, but yet parenting, we dive in and it's like everyone always says, there is no memo. But if with the gentle parenting, what I believe is the most powerful parenting framework, where we actually understand what is happening with neuroscience, looking at physically, developmentally, emotionally, and in terms of in the brain of our children's and therefore understand their needs so that there is a strong and healthy attachment relationship that is going to have a knock-on impact on every single part of their functioning, including the way that they use social media, what they put out there, how they present themselves, their sense of self, which will, of course, completely change how they interact online and with one another. So if we have to really quickly sum it up, that would be it. And it's been kind of in the back of my mind for years and years and years and years that I think for so many reasons, we need to work on how and what we create the healthiest attachment relationships between caregivers and their children. And I know we, we have to end off now. I also need to run. But on that, you know, why going back to where I believe such a where connection and relationship in terms of social media is just, it is so important. You know, if you've got a strong relationship with your child, no matter what they're exposed to, you want a relationship where they will come to you. Just yesterday, my daughter, she started doing voice lessons. She um, was listening to a song online to try and learn. And of course, there was an ad that came up and she kept bringing the phone to me and she said, my phone, and, and she said, mom, mom, watch this, watch this. And it was a Dungeons and Dragons kind of scary thing for her. Now, but, and that is what I want them to keep doing no matter what age. And I say to her, thank you. Well done. Because when I understand what they've got access to, I can help them process it. And so when there's relationship and trust, and when we're not shouting at our kids and when we're really focusing on connection, that's the kind of thing that they're going to do. And that is how I believe we safeguard them to a huge degree for everything that they're going to be exposed to online. You and I speak the same language. That's all that stuff around trust and giving them a bridge to walk across to come and approach you. I need to put you in a sidecar and we're going to go on a road show uh, around the country, <laughs> around the world. No, listen, awesome. uh, you are out of time. Let's, let's wrap this up and give everybody an opportunity to connect with you. Can you tell me where you would like people to go to be able to say hello, call you for a conference, uh, a speech or anything that, that any of this audience would like? Go for it. So I'm on LinkedIn and um, Facebook, Instagram, or my website, which is NaomiHolt.com. Otherwise, Naomi Holt, psychologist and speaker on Instagram and Facebook, and Naomi Holt on LinkedIn. So they are welcome to just get in touch, pop on, would be great. But thank you so much. This has been magical. I could talk for hours, <laughs> passionate about all these no, things. All good. <laughs> 
All good. All good. Well, Naomi, by all means, if you want to hop off, you certainly can. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up the show with a tiny bit of explanation. But what I can say is, uh, I'm super grateful for the time and that I wish you so much more success in the appreciation that people are feeling towards you for the way in which you enunciate the, both the problems and the solutions. Absolutely superb. And as I wrap up this show, so thank you, Naomi. As I wrap up the show, I think it's not a big, it's not a big sell. I think the important thing is within our ecosystem, we train kids from grade four, five, six. That's our safer phase uh, into seven, eight, nine, which is our smart and explore phase. And then into our excellent phase, which is grade 10 and 11, plus training the teachers, the parents and the psychologists. This is the way that we're going to have to approach it. The only missing piece there really is government and lobbying and the regulators and the platforms. But I think the chances of that are so low. So it's left to us. It does take a village and we are going to need to use that village of those adults and work on the children to increase their awareness of what's really happening online. Because as you can see, to summarize from Naomi on this outro, it is about we've been sitting in trauma and there has been uh, disempowerment, isolation, disconnection, and that when we do connect, then there is healing. And when there is safety in the classroom, we are going to get better outcomes in terms of both learning and happiness of the students. And as parents, we also need to be able to support that. All of that came from this particular pod. Thank you, Naomi Holt. Thank you guys for being here and for listening. And it's a big over and out from Z Alpha. We'll see you on the next one. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.